I love Easter time. It seems I'm not alone. This morning, uh, when I got up here at 8 o'clock before the 9 o'clock service, there were people waiting for church already. They were that keen for Easter Sunday, or it may have been they didn't know daylight savings had started. But anyway, um, uh, and then someone walked into the 9 o'clock service at 9.30, and I thought, wow, they're a bit late, but then they're actually an hour early for the 10.30 service. So is, is there anyone who was here at 5.30 this afternoon because they still hadn't worked it out by late in the day? No one who's willing to admit it? Anyway... All right, let's pray and then let's look at this wonderful passage uh, about Easter Sunday together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful news of Easter. First of all, what we remembered on Friday, that our Lord Jesus died for us to take the punishment we deserve for our sin. But Father, we thank you now for Easter Sunday and we pray that as we look at this wonderful passage of Scripture together that we'll be reminded again of how wonderful it is that our Lord Jesus defeated death, that he rose on the third day. And so, Father, help us now uh, to think once again uh, on that wonderful news and consider what it means for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You always know it's uh, coming up to Easter because if you read newspapers and you read newspaper editorials, I'm I'm still someone who gets a paper newspaper, which says something about me, but uh, when you read the editorials, they start using resurrection metaphors for everything. And this year it's been all about COVID. Uh, So it's been all about how the economy is rising again, that I saw on Monday and then a bit later in the week, Australia is rising from the grave. You know, so they use all these Easter resurrection metaphors and that's good as far as it goes. But it annoys me a little because it always seems to think or, or assume that the resurrection is sort of just a metaphor, just a Uh, a fable, just a myth that you can just sort of draw whatever lesson you want to draw from it. And nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, The resurrection is history. It's a real fact of history. We are here today because Jesus rose from the dead. Because he died, he went in the tomb, and three days later he came again. And that fact is the most important fact of history that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. A few years ago, uh, here in Sydney, we hosted apparently a festival of dangerous ideas. And there was a panel at the Opera House with all these intellectuals, they showed it on ABC TV, uh, and they're all talking about the ideas that will really rock the world, they're really dangerous, they'll really challenge you. And one of the panellists was the journalist and author called Peter Hitchens. Uh, Now his older brother was, sadly he's dead now, so it's was, Uh, Christopher Hitchens. He was one of the most famous and outspoken atheists in the world. So he made a name for himself writing books, making fun of Christianity, making fun of Christians. And his brother Peter was an atheist as well, but he became a Christian. And so he was on this panel, not because he was a Christian, but because he's an author and journalist. He was on this panel and they asked him what he thought was the most dangerous idea in the world. And this is what he said. He said, The most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and rose from the dead. That is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. Now the host, Tony Jones, he was a bit taken aback because he was sort of like, hey, come on, it's meant to be new ideas, not old religious stuff that you're meant to be talking about. So he challenged him on. He said, come on, that's old news. Uh, And this is what Hitchens then said. He said, it's the most dangerous fact in history because it alters the whole of human behaviour and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope. And I think he's right. 
C.S. Lewis, great writer and thinker, when he became a Christian, when he came to the view that Jesus had risen from the dead, this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. I think both of those great minds have got it. Everything turns on the resurrection of Jesus. It's that important. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, leave now. Go eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die and it's all meaningless. If Jesus did rise, then there is meaning. There is meaning to life. There is hope. So what better thing to do on Easter Sunday than to think about the most important and dangerous and radical idea in the history of thinking that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And to do that, we'll look at this passage we read from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we're actually going to look at the whole chapter over the next three weeks. So we're going to uh, look right through this chapter, only we'll get the first bit tonight. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing about 15 years after Jesus has died and risen. So it's very much within a short time frame of the resurrection of Jesus. And he's written this whole letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians, to, to remind them of what they believe, to keep trusting Jesus and to keep loving one another. And as he gets to the end at chapter 15, it's like he wants to go back to the basics. He's like, I've taught you all this stuff, but now I want to remind you of what is the central fact. What's the most important thing? So come with me to 1 Corinthians 15 and my first heading, which is the news you must know, verses 1 to 11. So come to verse 1. It says, Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaimed to you, unless you believed for no purpose. So he's saying, you must get this message right. I want you to make sure you have the gospel, which is a word for good news, I want you to make sure you have it absolutely right. This is so important because we are saved by faith. The whole story of the Bible is that all humanity falls short of God's standards, we deserve his righteous judgment, but God offers salvation, as it says there, God offers forgiveness, the gift of eternal life to all who, look at verse 2, to all who hold to the message I proclaim to you. To all who believe what gets called the gospel, the good news. And so if that's the case, if you're saved by believing this good news, you want to make sure you've got the right good news. That's the point he's making. You want to make sure you are trusting in the truth. You don't want to have believed for no purpose, like he says there. And so what is the gospel? What is that good news? Well, he says it has three main parts. The first is, verse 3, that Christ died for our sins. Of course, that's the message of Good Friday. I hope you're with us on Friday morning for that. On Good Friday, we remembered how Jesus was put to death, how he was crucified, despite the fact he had done nothing wrong, uh, a horrible abuse of justice, but something else other than just a travesty of justice was, was going on on that cross. The key is in that verse, Christ was dying for our sins. In his death, Jesus was taking the punishment we deserve upon himself. The one person who has never sinned, the, the one person who did not deserve God's condemnation, took it upon himself so that we could be forgiven. So there's the first part of the gospel. We must believe that Christ died for us. The second part, it's there in verse 3, uh, but it's also there in verse 4 as well, that it was all according to the Scriptures. 
talking about the Old Testament scriptures at that point. See, it's not like Jesus died and then his disciples got together and said, well, that's not how we expected it to turn out. Let's put a positive spin on it and, and say he died for our sins. Let's make it seem better news. Like sort of, you know, the people in Canberra do when the Prime Minister says something. Let's put a, a positive spin on it. Now, the Old Testament scriptures written by all these different human authors, written over a thousand-year period before Jesus, they talked about this. We read one before, Psalm 16. We read one on Good Friday, Isaiah 53. They talked about how God's Son, the Messiah, the Christ, how he would come. And they talked about how he would be rejected, how he would be killed. And they talked about how that was the way God would save his people. Do you know, for me, intellectually, this is why I am a Christian. This fact. 28 years ago, I was a young law student at the University of Sydney. I read the Bible through again and again, and I was awestruck by this incredible fact the way the Old Testament, written indisputably hundreds of years before Jesus, written indisputably by all these different human authors, yet they all spoke with one voice and they all pointed forward to what Jesus came and what Jesus said and what Jesus did. For me, that was the evidence that made me decide this is true. I'm going to give my life to following Jesus. The Bible is not like other religious texts. It's not the same as the Quran or, 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 or Buddhist texts or Hindu texts. It's very different. They are all written by one man and it says, you must come and believe it, take it or leave it. That is not the Bible. The Bible is history. The Bible is open to scrutiny. If the Bible is not true, it's the greatest literary accident. It's a miracle the Bible, that it is as cohesive as it is. It's an absolute miracle if it's not true, but it is true. And so it is the wonderful testimony about Jesus. That's the second part of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, which brings us to the third and final point, which is why we're here tonight. Verse four, that he was raised on the third day. So thirdly, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus did not stay dead. On the Friday, they crucified him. They stuck a spear in his side to make sure he was dead. Then they laid him in a tomb and they rolled a rock over. If you were here on Good Friday, we had our, our kids from Kids Church share the Easter story. It was a, I've forgotten the word they used, a, a ginormous rock over the tomb, I think was the word. But then on the Sunday morning, the rock was moved. The tomb was empty. Now we're going to think about why the resurrection is so important in a moment. In fact, that's the next two Sundays as we look at the rest of the chapter. But before he gets to that, the Apostle Paul knows that people will struggle to believe in the resurrection. Often we sort of think that oh, it's just like really smart 21st century people like us who struggle to believe someone rose from the dead. Ancient Greeks knew dead people do not rise. When they came with the news of the resurrection, people said, I'm not believing that. I've seen too many dead people and none of them have come back to life. They needed proof, just like we do. So that's why the apostle lists out all these eyewitnesses. Look from verse 5. It says, And that he appeared to Kephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. Now it's really, really important to see this. I talk to some people and they say, It's great that you believe. I wish I had your faith. And it's like they're sort of, sort of saying somehow faith is suspending disbelief and believing something that's unbelievable. That is not what faith is. Faith is trusting in something 
as you have viewed the evidence, because of the evidence. This letter, 1 Corinthians, was written within 20 years of the events it's talking about. The the apostle wasn't just listing out people and saying, hey, you've just got to trust me, these other people saw Jesus. He's saying, you can go and check it with them. That's why he says, verse 6, most of them are still alive. There are still eyewitnesses. You can go and talk to Peter, you can go and talk to any of those 500 people. See, the question of the resurrection is a question of history. It's a question of looking at the evidence. And for me, the evidence is compelling. I can't prove to you 100% that Jesus rose from the dead. History doesn't work that way, just like I can't prove to you any other event in history that you were not there to see. And, And even now, when we have television footage of things, people still say Neil Armstrong didn't walk on the moon and they, it all happened in Hollywood. You you know, you can have all the evidence you want. If you don't want to believe, you won't believe. But the evidence for the resurrection is compelling. For me, all those years ago, as a young law student at the time, I looked at the evidence and I could not come up with a better explanation for the empty tomb. I couldn't see how so many people could keep a conspiracy to themselves. And in particular, I couldn't see why all those first eyewitnesses would rather be killed than deny what they were saying about the resurrection of Jesus. I've always found this quote from a former legal professor at Harvard uh, captures my view. He says, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection than for just about any other event in history. If you are someone who is interested, I can share loads of books on the evidence for the resurrection with you. But can I implore you, do not sit on the fence. This is the biggest question in history. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Investigate it. If it's false, Christianity is a waste of time. If it's true, everything hangs on it. The one thing you mustn't do is treat it as something in the middle, like I said before. The one thing it can't be is moderately important, something I'll look into one day. It's either a waste of time or it's the most important fact of history. Which, of course, leads us to the question of why. Why is the resurrection so important? And this is verses 12 to 19, so come with me there. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus' death is obvious. Good Friday is, is easy in a way. He, he died to pay the price for our sins. That's why his death is so important. Why is the resurrection so important? Well, there's many reasons. First of all, it's important because the resurrection is God's great stamp of approval on Jesus. He's saying, this man you killed, he is my son. It's it's God vindicating Jesus. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says this. It says, Jesus has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead. That's one reason why it's so important. As I say, for the next few weeks, we're going to explore other reasons in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But now we're just going to see one more reason. And this is it. It's that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection so come with me to verses 12 to 19 these are quite complicated verses you might have thought that as I've been read before we have to put ourselves back into the shoes of the original hearers and and try and follow the logic they had no doubt that Jesus had risen from the dead so they're very different to people today who would doubt that Jesus was dead by this point they had no doubt Jesus had risen from the dead they saw the evidence they talked to eyewitnesses they were convinced Their issue was, maybe they wouldn't be raised from the dead. 
They had started to think that this life was all there is. But the apostle is saying to them, no, 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 don't you understand? The Christian hope is that you too will be raised like Jesus. When Jesus returns, the Christian hope is death is not the end for you. When Christ returns, if you trust in Jesus, you will get to live forever with Jesus in a new creation. We've been learning about it the last few weeks in the book of Revelation at church. In this new creation where there is no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears and most importantly, no more death. So look with me from verse 12. It says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation and so is your faith. That's a bit complicated, but I hope you see the point. He's saying Jesus' resurrection guarantees our future hope. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our faith is without foundation. It's a waste of time. And he says this over and over and over and over again in these verses. Verse 15, he talks about if Jesus is not raised, then everything he's preached has been a lie. He's basically saying, I've wasted my life. I should have taken a different turn back then all those years ago and gone and made a lot more money than you do as a preacher. More than that, he's saying, if Jesus has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You may as well go home. Look at verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. What does he mean there? When he says, if Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. Well, he's saying, it's wonderful to be forgiven. It's wonderful to know the message of Good Friday, that Jesus has died for your sins. But what use is that if you still die? It's useless. That's his point. Look at verse 18. He says, therefore, those who've fallen asleep, that's why I'm saying have died, trusting in Christ, have also perished. So his point is, if the resurrection isn't true, then people who have followed Jesus have wasted their lives. It did them no good, no good at all, if you still die. See, our entire hope stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. And so he finishes off there in verse 19, look there. He says, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. He's saying, if this life is all we have, then don't come next week. If this life is all we have, just go and eat and drink and be merry and and do whatever you want to do because tomorrow you die. There is no purpose. If this life is all there is, there is no hope. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. Why bother following Jesus? Why bother caring about how you live your life if that's all there is? Sadly, I look at many people in our world and they have no meaning. I think at the moment we have an epidemic of meaninglessness in our society. I think most people in Australia are wandering around with no meaning, no purpose and so they fool about trying to find meaning in relationships or in experiences or or in ambition in their career or whatever it is but it never satisfies them. The resurrection says to us there is meaning beyond this life, there is hope beyond this life. Lots of different philosophies can help you cope with life. That's what self-help books are about, helping you cope with life. You can read all sorts of books. You can learn to meditate. You can learn to breathe better. You can learn to do all those sort of things. I was watching the football the other night and Brad Fittler was telling us how to breathe better and you'll have a better life. I'd probably listen to other books than that one. But the ultimate test of any philosophy 
is what it says to people as they stand at a gravesite. That's how you test if a philosophy works. What does it have to say to people standing at a gravesite? And that is where the Christian gospel stands alone. It's why a Christian funeral is so different to other funerals. Yes, we grieve. Death is awful. Death is not meant to be, God says. But we grieve with hope. That's the difference. We grieve a person's loss, but we know that we will see them again when they are raised and we are raised with Christ. That is the hope of the resurrection. That's why it is so important that Jesus rose from the dead. As that author I quoted back at the start said, the resurrection of Jesus turns the universe from meaningless chaos into a designed place in which there is justice and there is hope. I pray that you know that hope. My prayer tonight is that it's just a reminder for you of why you love and trust in the risen Lord Jesus. But if you do not yet know that hope, I want you to come to know the risen Lord Jesus with us. I want you to investigate it. I want you to talk to me about it. I want you to contact someone here and talk about it. Christ is risen and so will we be if we trust in him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful news of Easter. First of all, that Jesus died for us, but now on Easter Sunday that he is risen. And so that guarantees our hope for the future and gives us meaning and purpose. And so we pray that that message of the resurrection would continue to ring out and more and more people would find the meaning and hope that we have found in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.